So if you would please stand with me as we read the Word of God, we read Ruth chapter 3. Hear now the Word of the Lord that is holy, inerrant, and sufficient for our lives. Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If He will redeem you, good. Let Him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter runs out, turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Praise be to God for His holy word. Please be seated. You know, it's a very interesting thing about our culture and our society that we have a very odd view of love. You know, it's interesting that love in our society bears more relationship to an upset stomach Or to a really good, a really good experience that happens to you. Something we might say if we weren't Reformed Christians, being lucky and being happy about it. Than it does to biblical love. You know, we fall in and out of love. 
we, in our society, leave wives, leave husbands, ignore children, quit jobs, abandon all security and all responsibility, all in the name of love. And the number of movies and books and conversations that we know of and hear where we're told to what? Follow our heart. And following our heart almost always means not thinking, not following our head. We live in a society that really doesn't understand what love is. And part of what we're seeing here in this book of Ruth is a love story. It's really a twofold love story. It's a love story between Ruth and Boaz, but it's really on a deeper level a love story between God and his people, between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. And so keeping that in mind that there are these two levels to this book, I'd like us to look briefly tonight at some of the aspects or perhaps some of the characteristics of love that we can see from this chapter. And so I'd like us to see four things briefly and then just remind you of a fifth. That is, the first thing I'd like us to see is the focus of love. If we have love, what does that mean for our focus? What does that mean for where we are pointed, the purpose in our lives? Then I'd like us to see the obedience of love. Now, there's a contradiction in American terms if there was one, isn't there? Love, obedience? No, the obedience of love. And then third, I'd like us to see the honor of love. That's again something that we don't see much of in America today. Honor and respect in love. And then finally, and perhaps most ironically, I'd like us to see the commitment of love. What does it mean to be committed to love? Well, first let's take a look at the focus of love. Turn with me, if you would, to chapter 3 and the first four verses. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, remind yourself who Naomi is. Do you remember in chapter 1? She's a wife that goes off with her husband and her two sons into a foreign land. And her sons get married to foreign pagan wives. And then her husband dies and her two sons die. And she's left widowed and destitute. She's bitter. When she goes back to Bethlehem, she says, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. I went out full and I came back empty. You remember? Now look what Naomi's doing. She says to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? That it may be well with you. You see what's happening in Naomi's heart here as she's finding repentance and faith in God again? The me, myself, and I show is over in her life. It was all woe is me, and what will I do, and what has the Lord done to me, and how will I survive, and what should my name be. And now, the Lord has turned her focus off of herself and onto another. And this shouldn't surprise us, because what does bitterness in our lives do? You know that from experience, don't you? As well as from our theology. 
When we're bitter, what do we do? We focus inward, don't we? We hide in a room. Sometimes we even shut off the lights. We don't want to talk to anyone. We're crabby. We insist on our rights all the time. But you see, love is something that focuses us outward. The Lord intends us to look outside of ourselves, to focus on another, and to seek another's good. Do you see what she's seeking here? She's seeking Ruth's good. She hasn't changed her situation. Her circumstances have not changed. She still is as poor as she was. She's still as widowed as she was. But her focus is not upon that. It's upon Ruth and her good. And this takes her focus onto Ruth and off of herself, and she formulates a plan. Now, we need to understand this plan. So let's look at it for just a minute. She tells Ruth to wash herself and anoint herself and to go and to put on her cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Now, I think we might have our first impression here is that what Naomi's telling Ruth to do is take a good bath, put on your best makeup and your best perfume and your best dress and go out there and find yourself a man. But the problem is that's not what the text says. That's the story we know, but that's not what the text says. She tells her to go and take her cloak. And the word here for cloak is a very specific word. It's basically, go take your burlap jacket. Because you're going to go out to the threshing floor, and guess what? It's cold. So take your warmest coat. This is not be seductive. This is the modern equivalent of get your Gore-Tex jacket. You know, the one that makes you look like the Michelin Man? And put that on so you're not cold. And make sure that you're clean and presentable. This is not a scene of seduction. That's our modern concept of love. Her plan is a bold one because she is sending Ruth to basically propose marriage to a man who is their social superior. So it is a bold plan. If we Again, if we were not... Biblical Christians, we might say it's a gamble. But see, we know better because we know who's behind the scenes in all of this and who has a plan and who's working it out. So the first thing that we see about love occurring here is that Naomi's love for Ruth, and she has grown to really express a love for her. We saw that the last time we looked at this, and Naomi stopped talking about I and my and started talking about our. Remember that? Our Redeemer, drawing Ruth into the family. And it's taken her focus off of herself and onto Ruth. And Ruth then provides us with an opportunity to see a second thing about love. That is, love's obedience. Notice what Ruth does in verse 5. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. Parents, don't you long to hear those words from your children? Husbands, don't you long to hear those words from your wife? We just just don't hear these words all the time. I can tell you as a minister, you long to hear these words from your congregation (laughs) when you're giving biblical counsel. We just don't see this very often because in our society, we do not place a premium on obedience. We place a premium on independence and individual rights. Ruth doesn't say, well, okay, but first explain to me what you've got in mind here. 
explain to me why we can't do this. Or perhaps my favorite, that's okay, but let me tweak this just a little bit here. No, she says, all that you say, I will do. There's no argument. There's complete submission. Now, this is something that is readily applicable to us. Because that's what Jesus Christ wants from us. Complete, total, unquestioning submission to Him and His Lordship. Love means obeying. It means obeying the commands of a superior. It means, children, obeying your parents when they tell you to do something. The Lord thought that was important enough to make it a commandment, to honor your fathers and your mothers. But that commandment isn't just about kids and parents, though, because we're told, as it's described for us in our catechism, that it's about superiors obeying, or inferiors obeying superiors, and superiors treating inferiors with honor and respect. This is what we are called to do, to exercise in the body of Christ. Now, notice Ruth's obedience is more than just words, though. She goes down to the threshing floor in verse 6, and she did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Now, notice, previously Naomi said, now it's viewed as a command by Ruth. She follows through on what she said she will do. It's not just good words. It's good deeds following along on good words. Again, that's instructive for us because good words are very easy for us to partake of. I can share with you a great difficulty that I have and that I work on continually, and my guess is that many of you struggle with this as well. It is the famous, you hear something and, oh, I'll pray for you. Do we follow through on that? Do we pray for people that we have, not just that we should pray for, but that we have said to them, we will pray for them? That's love, following through on good words with good actions. And you see, Ruth is not afraid to put her reputation and her safety on the line in order to obey her mother-in-law in order to show love. Because Ruth knows that if she finds a husband, it's not just she that will be delivered, but Naomi as well. And so she goes down and does all of the things that her mother-in-law tells her to do. Now, this leads us to a third thing that I think is critical for us to think about in the context of the story of Ruth. And that is the honor of love. Love is about taking our focus off of ourselves and placing it onto another. Love is about submission and obedience, not about rule. But love is also about honor and respect. You see, far too often this story is treated as some type of risque novel that somehow got stuck in the Bible and forms a group with the Song of Solomon. And I think that's as far more about us as a culture than it does about this book. You see, Ruth is taking a risk with her reputation. Others might talk about her. And with her safety, she doesn't know exactly what will happen. But she knows that the Lord will preserve her. And so she goes down and basically sets up a marriage proposal and a means in which a widow in Israel could do. There's nothing overt 
or untoward here. I think that's mostly in our minds. When it says, the text says that she uncovered his feet, she uncovered his feet. And that's what it means. And why would she uncover his feet? Well, we see here what happens. The Hebrew is very interesting, but the English, I think, catches it well that at midnight the man was startled and turned over. Now, you could be a man, you could be a woman, but you've probably had this experience sometime. It usually happens in the fall when it gets cool, but it's not cold enough to really throw all the comforters on the bed. And perhaps your wife or your husband tosses and turns a bit in bed. And a foot catches the covers, and you wind up with a lot of nothing covering you, right? And you wake up in the middle of the night. You're startled. You're cold. You're shivering. That's really what the Hebrew says. He shivered. Well, Ruth was getting him awake so she could speak to him. This is providentially how this is set up. And I want you to notice something here. Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night and he says, Who are you? And she says, I am Ruth, your servant. And basically proposes marriage to him, saying, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. The word there for wings can also mean the corner of a cloak or a garment. Kind of a Hebrew wedding ring or engagement ring. And how does Boaz respond to this? Now, I want you to remember, the man worked all day in the field, winnowing, threshing. And he had a good dinner, and now he is out like a stone. And he wakes up from a dead sleep. Now, How many of you are able to put on an act when someone calls you at 3 a.m. in the middle of a sound sleep? Not me. (laughs) So we're seeing Boaz's true character here. This is not an act. He immediately responds with, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. His true character is revealing itself in showing honor for Ruth. He has no need to honor her. She's a Moabitess. She's a widow. She's at the threshing room floor. She could easily be taken advantage of. And yet he shows her honor and respect. As a matter of fact, the blessing he gives her is almost identical to the blessing Naomi gives him in the previous chapter because he had provided for Ruth. Do you notice that? He says, may you be blessed by the Lord. He honors and respects her. This is a characteristic that needs to mark the church of God today. Our society has made it very clear that men do not respect women as women. Young men, you need to act like Boaz. Not in some moralistic way, but because that is what the Lord has called you to do in love. Part of showing love is honoring and respecting. And especially honoring and respecting those who need your protection. Ladies, young women, you need to expect this from a man. This is not optional. 
This is not a nice add-on that's like a nice car or a good bank account. If you would seek a man, you would seek a man that honors you and respects you. Because if he doesn't, he doesn't love you. Because that's a part and parcel of love. We think about that even in our Lord Jesus Christ, who honors us, sinners, respects us, his enemies, treats us with kindness. Have you ever looked through the scriptures and see how our Lord treats ordinary sinners who come up to him? Lepers, prostitutes. He treats them with honor and respect. It's because he's showing love. We see Boaz honors and uses honor and love by being honest as well. He says to her, well, I would redeem you, but there's another one closer. We might look at Boaz and and see that perhaps he might very much like to be married to Ruth. But he's honest. He won't take advantage of the situation. Honor and respect is a part of love. And then finally, we see the commitment of love. I think this is perhaps what we've lost most in our society today. Notice what happens here. He says, I am a redeemer. Yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Verse 13. Remain tonight and in the morning if He will redeem you, good. Let Him do it. But if He is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Boaz is showing a commitment to Ruth. He's giving her a promise that he intends to keep. And we know he intends to keep it because the next chapter opens with him right out, right away, seeking to resolve the situation. Naomi knew that was the kind of man Boaz was, for she says to Ruth, just wait, he'll take care of it in the morning. He's not going to have to sleep on it again or think about it. He's given you a commitment, he will see it done. This is something that we need to exercise in our love for one another. The obvious implication and application is for husbands and wives, right? But it's broader than that. It's in our commitment to friends. It's in our commitment to our church. If we love those who are in our church, if we love those who are our friends, we don't abandon them in a time of need or when things get boring or things get difficult. Love is about commitment. And again, our Lord Jesus Christ provides us another wonderful example of that. He set his face toward the cross, right? Despising the shame of it. And stayed on course, committed to show love to his people. These are the things of love. A focus that is not upon ourselves, but upon another. Obedience. Honor. Commitment. None of these things are feelings that make you giddy or that give you butterflies in your stomach. Now, that doesn't mean that when you're around your sweetheart or your leading man that you don't get a little giddy sometimes. But that's not how you think about and judge love. That's not what love is. How do we know these things? Well, I spoke to the men on Saturday, and I sort of asked a question. I'm sure the ladies can even resound this more. I said, how many of you have been to a wedding in which you've heard 1 Corinthians 13 read? 
every hand in the house went up. We always read 1 Corinthians 13. We always talk about love. That's what the wedding is about, right? It's about the love that this couple has for one another. And we talk about this. We read that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I would challenge you today that when you think about love, and when you think about 1 Corinthians 13, that it's not speaking of some giddy feeling that newlyweds have. It's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is patient. He's patient with you and he's patient with me in our sin. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. Our Lord absolutely does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. You see, that's how we know what love is. We see it in the actions of our Lord. And love is self-sacrifice. Love is focusing on another. Love is committing. Love is honoring. Would that we in the church would start to show this love that an outside world might look and look at us and say what? How they love one another. That's how real change happens in a community, in a state, in a country, in the world. By Christians showing love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story of Ruth. We thank you that you have provided for us another picture of your love for us in this story. And that we can see the importance of love in your divine plan. We pray, O Lord, that you would teach us to love one another with great fervency. And we thank you that you have told us in your word that love covers a multitude of sins. We pray all this this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.